the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Buzz to fo- The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Have you been to Jesus for the cleansing power? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you fully trusting in His graces? Are you washed? In the blood of the Lamb, are you washed? Are you washed? In the blood, in the blood, in the soul cleansing blood of the Lamb. Are your garments spotless? Are they white as snow? Are you washed? In the blood of the Lamb. Lay aside the garments that are stained with sin and be washed in the blood of the Lamb. There's a fountain flowing for the soul unclean. Oh, be washed in the blood of the Lamb. Are you washed? Are you washed? In the blood. In the blood. In the soul cleansing blood of the Lamb. Are your garments spotless? Are they white as snow? Are you washed? In the blood of the Lamb. Some glad morning when this life is over, I'll fly away to a home on God's celestial shore. I'll fly away. Just a few more weary days and then I'll fly away to a land where joy shall never end. I'll fly away. Yeah, I'll fly away. Oh, glory, I'll fly away. If when I die, hallelujah, bye and bye. 
John Bunyan wrote that famous book, Pilgrim's Progress, as he was in prison, probably the first draft. It wasn't published until later. He spent 12 years in that dismal, harsh prison environment. It was there that all he had was the scriptures, and Jesus met him. He was in prison because he preached the gospel of Jesus Christ, and he preached a straight, unvarnished gospel. He called for righteousness. Today we're going to share another portion of Pilgrim's Progress with you. And then we're going to go into the scriptures. Before we do, you're listening to Pilgrim's Progress, and I'm Pastor Ray Greenley. With me in studio is Alexandra. Welcome. Thank you for joining us. This broadcast is named after the book, Pilgrim's Progress, which we are about to share. And today, the cry of our heart is that you would enter into the fullness of Jesus if you have not already, and that you would walk transformed and changed into the likeness of Jesus, and that he would dwell in you richly today, that Christ would be formed in you today. I woke up this morning singing that song, Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. I do love Jesus with all my heart. And I'm praying now, oh God, would you move in the heart of every person who's listening? Would you prompt every person listening turn their heart to you, Jesus. So, Alexandra, would you begin and share the portion of Pilgrim's Progress for today? Yes, so we left off, we're still towards the beginning of the story. Right now, the main character, whose name is Christian, has started his journey he fell into the swamp of despond, which is the conviction for sin through which so many people get discouraged. But he managed to get out, and after he got out, he met a man named Mr. Worldly Wise Man. Now, Mr. Worldly Wise Man recognized that Christian did have a burden of conviction that he was carrying. But instead of pointing him to the cross... He pointed him to the town of morality, and he assured Christian that if he went to that town, that his conviction would be removed, and he wouldn't have to go through all the difficulties associated with the cross. Now, I just want to say, before we pick up the story from that point, it's very likely that some of you listening have gone through a similar experience the Holy Spirit did a work of conviction in you, either recently or some time ago, and you felt your guilt, you felt that you needed to be freed from your sin, and so you did the logical thing, which was to go to a church, or to go to a Christian friend, 
But then instead of being directed to crucifixion and the new birth in Jesus, you were directed to some kind of system of morality. Now that looks like different things depending on the church that you're in. It could look like keeping the Sabbath. It could look like observing certain Jewish holidays. It could look like certain dress codes or submitting to your pastor and elders and doing whatever they say. It could look like some kind of covenant agreements. There are many different forms of this in the church today. But if we find our rest in those things, then our conviction will vanish, but we'll have never actually gotten to the cross. And so what will happen is you'll still find, the way to tell if this is what's happened to you, is you'll still find what we would call the old man or those sinful desires and tendencies are still very present in your heart. There was never a moment where you experienced or underwent a change of heart, where you felt that you had become a new person in Jesus when all things had become new. And instead, you find yourself in a position where you're trying to live up to the expectations of Jesus you're dealing with continually trying to push down or repress things like anger or discouragement, perhaps outbursts, perhaps tendencies to go to alcohol or drugs. You've never actually gotten the victory over any of your sin, but you were able to ease your convictions by finding rest in certain religious or moral boundaries. So we're going to see in the story today how our, our main character, Christian, escaped from that and then his journey on towards the cross. So fortunately, Christian was met by a man called Evangelist who was continually pointing him to the cross. And so at this point in the story, Christian had been heading towards the town of morality, by, directed there by Mr. Worldly Wiseman. But he got scared because the mountain he had to go around was huge and he felt like it was going to fall on him. Now this is another sign for you if you feel like the church you're in or the religion you've believed is this huge mountain that's about to fall on you. If you feel oppressed, you don't feel free, that is a very good sign that you have gotten caught in, in this kind of moral system instead of actually finding that freedom in Jesus. So this is what Evangelist says to Christian as he meets him. Then said Evangelist, stand still for a while so that I may show you the words of God. So Christian stood trembling. Then Evangelist said, see that you do not refuse him who is speaking for if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. He also said, Now the just shall live by faith, but if any man draws back, God's soul shall have no pleasure in him. Evangelist then explained to Christian, You are the man who is running into this misery. You have begun to reject the counsel of the Most High and to draw back your foot from the way of peace. 
even almost to your own destruction. Then Christian fell down at Evangelist's feet as if he were dead, crying, Woe is me, for I am undone. When Evangelist saw this, he lifted Christian up with his right hand and said, Every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven, people. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Christian regained some of his strength and stood up trembling before Evangelist. Then Evangelist proceeded, saying, Give earnest attention to the things that I am going to tell you. I will now show you who it was that deluded you, and to whom it was that he sent you. The man that you met is named Mr. Worldly Wise Man, and he is well named because he loves only the doctrine of this world. He always goes to the town of morality to attend church. He loves that doctrine because it keeps him away from the cross. And because he is of this fleshly disposition, he tries to direct poor sinners away from the path which I send them, even though it is the only right path. Now there are three things in this man's counsel that you must utterly hate. One, that he's convincing you to leave the right path. Two, his effort to make the cross repulsive to you. Three, his sending you on a way that leads to death. First, you must hate his turning you out of the right way, and also your own willingness to consent to his counsel. You must hate it because this is to reject the counsel of God in exchange for the counsel of a worldly wise man. The Lord says, Strive to enter in through the narrow door, the narrow door to which I send you. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. From this narrow gate, and from the way that leads to it, has this wicked man turned you, and by so doing he has almost brought you to your own destruction. You must hate that he turned you out of the right way, and hate yourself for listening to him. Second, you must hate his effort to make the cross loathsome to you, for the cross is what you are to prefer above all else, even more than all the treasures of Egypt. Besides, the King of Glory has told you that whoever finds his life will lose it, and if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple." Anyone who tries to persuade you otherwise is opposing the only truth by which you can have eternal life, and you must hate all such doctrines. Third, you must hate that he directed you into a way that leads to death. You must also know that the person to whom he sent you, and how unable that person is to deliver you from your burden. The person to whom you were sent for relief, whose name is Legality, is the son of the slave woman who, with all her children, is still in bondage. The mountain that you feared would fall on your head is Mount Sinai. Now, if the slave woman and all her children are in bondage, how can you expect them to set you free from your burden? This Mr. Legality is not able to loose you of your burden. No man has ever gotten rid of his burden by Mr. Legality's help, 
nor are any going to. You cannot be set free by the works of the law, for by the deeds of the law no man living is able to get rid of his burden. Mr. Worldly Wise Man is an alien, and Mr. Legality is a cheat. As for his son's civility, notwithstanding his pleasant looks, he is nothing more than a hypocrite who was also unable to help you. Believe me, there is nothing in all the noise that you heard from these dull men except an intent to rob you of your salvation by turning you away from the way in which I directed you. After this, Evangelist called aloud to the heavens for confirmation of what he had said, and with that there came words and fire out of the mountain under which poor Christian stood that made his hair stand on end. The words that Christian heard were these, For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be every one who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law and do them. Now Christian looked for nothing but death, and began to cry out desperately, even cursing the time that he had met with Mr. Worldly Wise Man, calling himself a thousand fools for listening to his counsel. He also was greatly ashamed to think that this gentleman's arguments, flowing only from the deception of the flesh, should have persuaded him to forsake the right way. After this he approached Evangelist with the following words and thoughts. Christian asked, Sir, what do you think? Is there hope for me? May I go back to the way and up to the sheep gate? Will I be abandoned for this and sent back from where I came, disgraced and ashamed? I'm sorry I listened to worldly wise man's counsel. Can my sins be forgiven? Then Evangelist said to Christian, Your sin is very great, for by it you have committed two evils. You have forsaken the way that is good, and you have walked in forbidden paths. Yet will the man at the gate receive you, for he has good will for all people. Then Evangelist warned Christian to be careful, and not to turn aside again, lest you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Then Christian asked to go back to the way leading to the narrow gate. An evangelist, after he had kissed him, gave him a smile and bid him Godspeed. So Christian went on with haste. He spoke to no one as he quickly returned to the path that led to the small sheep gate, and if anyone asked him a question, Christian would not even give him an answer. He went like someone who was treading on forbidden ground. He could not think himself safe until he had once again gotten back on the path which he had abandoned to follow Mr. Worldly Wise Man's counsel. Now I want to highlight for us three things that have been said very clearly. First, Christians should abhor or hate that he was convinced to leave the right path. To understand all paths lead to the same place. Buddhism, Hinduism, Islam, Christianity, they all lead to the same place. They lead to the judgment bar of God. 
and every man and every woman will finally stand before that judgment bar and be held accountable for what we have done. That's sobering. It doesn't matter what you think or what you feel. You will be brought before the judgment bar of God. Now, there is only one name we are given under heaven by which a man can be saved, and that is the name of Jesus, meaning he saves his people from their sin. So the essential issue that we must deal with is a path that takes us to a way that we can escape our sin and the penalty of that sin. Any path that does not take away our sin is a false path. You spoke, Alexandra, in this introduction about things that potentially could become legalism. One of those that we have not spoken of that is most common are the rituals of the church. And you want to get in on this. Yes, I wanted to ask you to speak a little bit more about this point you just made that any path that does not save us from our sin is not the right path. And to ask you to speak about that in the context of the church. In the church, we have many people who are on a path. But because they are in a church does not mean they are on the right path. And we are able to determine what is the right path by the way the cross of Jesus is treated. I love the cross of Jesus Christ. Why? Because it's at the cross where the burden of sin is cut away from our back. We're not quite there yet, but soon you will see that Christian carries through the narrow gate his burden of sin as he decides to follow the narrow path, and the narrow path leads him straight to the cross of Jesus. And there the burden of sin is cut away. So in the church, we have many wonderful people. But people who think the rituals of the church and their pastor are going to save them. But they have no salvation to offer if it is not the saving power of Jesus Christ. Could you speak more about these rituals of the church? The rituals of the church are the Christmas, Easter, and all the other seasons that the church goes through, the holidays of the church, especially Christmas and Easter, but then every Sunday, the ritualistic confession that I am a sinner. If you ritually confess every Sunday that you are a sinner, you are not saved. You are depending 
in a statement of faith and you are depending in a ritual that has no power to break the sin from your life. And then when you say, well, none of us can live clean. I spoke with one pastor and I confronted him on several very important issues. Smoking cigars and doing other things that were ungodly. And his response was, Ray, I can't be perfect. And so I have things that I'm enjoying. I know I should not be doing them, but I enjoy doing them. I enjoy sitting down and watching the football game. I enjoy having a beer. I enjoy, and he went through a whole list of things that he enjoyed. But all of these things he allows himself to do because he's part of a community that has a very strong ritualistic culture. And he's not saved. He's lost. And preaching to a congregation of lost people because he's communicating psychological information and a mix down of what is called theology but it doesn't lead to the right path it's a path that leads to destruction and in the end what will he do with his sheep whom he has led down a path of destruction anything else you'd like to share I would just like to highlight something you said. I've been in a number of church services of, of different denominations where there has been this ritualistic confession of sin followed by an absolution of some kind by the priest, the pastor, followed by the taking of communion. Now, what's kind of unusual is that many Protestants will object to this in a, if they see it happening in a Catholic church. They would say, well, you can't just go to confession. You have to be justified by faith. But in fact, many Protestants are doing the very same things in their own churches. Week by week, I was surprised to see from the 1970s, the Methodist church had even adopted this in their weekly meetings, they read out loud a confession of sin, that they had not loved God with their whole hearts, that they had not loved their neighbors as themselves, and they do this every week. Now that is absolutely not what God has called us to. God is interested in redeeming and restoring us to the full image of God. Now if I never change if I'm still a sinner all the time and I never love God with my whole heart and I never love my neighbor as myself, then I've not been restored to the image of God. And I've missed out on the full and glorious and present salvation that is found in Jesus Christ. So very simply, Jesus does not pretend or legally exchange his righteousness for our unrighteousness. In other words, God doesn't look at us and say, well, 
you're not clean, but I'm going to consider you clean for the sake of Jesus. No, what happens is that when we come to Jesus to the cross, we give up our life for him, we receive a new life, and we are actually made clean. We are actually made holy. We are made righteous. Literally. So then we do love God with our whole heart and yes. our whole mind, and we do love our neighbor as ourself, and we're filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, and it's extremely exciting because now we have an entirely new sin-free life in which we can serve God and love others, and we're not bound by those sins which always lead to destruction. We can't really love another person if we're still in sin because we'll be destroying the very thing that we're trying to create, which is a loving, trusting, honest, vulnerable community and relationship with one another. So I want you to hear today that you can love God with your whole heart. You can love your neighbor as yourself. You can selflessly, without expecting anything in return, reach out to those around you who are lost and help them and pray with them. You can see them healed. You can see them saved. And this is a glorious work of the Holy Spirit that God will do in your heart. Romans, the sixth chapter, I'll begin reading with verse 1 through verse 7. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? And that really is the question. If you're turned to the wrong path, you will believe that you cannot leave your sin. And that path will lead you to destruction. That's what this Reformed Baptist preacher, John Bunyan, is saying. And he went to jail because he taught that. To highlight, you explained briefly earlier why this leads to destruction when you brought up that we will all stand before the judgment bar or the judgment seat of God. And we will be judged according to what we have done while we've been in this body. Could you speak a little bit more about that? Yes, let's be clear that we do not leave sin by our power. It is the power of God. I think immediately of the illustration of the man who was in the sanctuary Jesus was teaching and he looked out and he saw this man with a withered arm. He called that man to come up front. Now, this man had been shamed because of his withered arm. In that culture, it meant you had sinned. You were not approved of by God. So here comes this sinner man in his mind and in everyone else's mind. He comes and he does as he's told. He stands in front of that group of people. Now, I'm sure he was ashamed. He didn't like the spotlight being put upon him. 
There were those watching to see what Jesus would do. But now we have an illustration of how salvation comes to us. Jesus said to the man, stretch out your arm. Well, what Jesus just said to that man was utterly impossible for him because his hand, his arm, was withered and tied against his body. He was ashamed of it. Jesus said, stretch out your arm. The man could have said, I can't stretch out my arm. I'm going to be this way until I die. I've been this way for so many years. I can't change. I've tried. I can't do anything. The doctors can't do anything. It's hopeless. Stretch out your arm. And in this man's heart is kindled a hope. Faith springs up. His will is given over to Jesus to stretch out his arm. And as the will combines in faith with the power of Jesus, healing flows in that arm and he stretches his arm out and it's healed. It is restored. It is completely new. Well, do you understand? You can't leave your sin. And everybody's right saying you can't leave your sin. But if your faith and your will connect with Jesus, the mighty supernatural power of God will flow in your life and you will be released. What I wish to emphasize here is not so much that this is accomplished through faith, but what I'm really wanting to talk about is that when you come to the judgment seat of God you will not be forgiven for your sins unless you had actually been saved from your sins in this present life you cannot have forgiveness of sins you cannot enter heaven you cannot escape the wrath of God at the final judgment if you have not in this present life been saved from sinning, that means you have died to sin, as the scripture says. You no longer walk in sin, you no longer live in sin, you no longer commit sin, but you've become a new person. And without that, you will not be saved when you come to the final judgment. Well, let's look further at the scripture because it's going to say exactly that. This is Romans, the sixth chapter. Should we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? You just mentioned the cross. And the second thing evangelist said was, you should utterly abhor this legalistic man because his effort was to make the cross of Jesus repulsive to you. Well, it's dying. It's the cross. Listen, don't you know that all of us were baptized into Christ Jesus? We were baptized into his death. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. 
In other words, the faith and the power of God begin to combine with that palsied arm and into it flows the power of God. You can't leave your sin on your own, but you can renounce it and you can stand by faith and you will be made whole in Jesus Christ. So when we speak about the cross and this death, we're speaking about a dying to sin. This is also found in Romans chapter 6. It says that we die to sin so that we can live unto righteousness. So when we truly repent, when we go through the cross, our life of sin is over. Completed. We're done. Finished. We're not going to go back. It is dead completely. It's dead. And the new life that we have is a life of love and peace and righteousness and joy as we serve God. It's a life of victory. It's not a drudgery. It's filled with excitement and power. Now, listen, this is chapter 6, verse 5. If we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. I want you to hear that. You no longer have to live in the grave, in the graveyard. You no longer need to live in a place of weeping and mourning, of sorrow. You are called in resurrection power to walk as a new person in Jesus Christ. You are freed from your sin. Now he's going to say that, verse 6, For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body of sin might be done away with. Literally in the Greek, destroyed, annihilated, removed. That we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe we'll, we will also live with him. Now, please don't hear this in any sense in condemnation. But if you are still walking in your sin today, you were directed to the wrong path. If you have learned to go along, to get along. If you've learned to say, I can never be perfect. I can never leave my sin. You're on the wrong path. Because you have believed a lie. And you have denied what I just read for you out of Romans the 6th chapter. We are to utterly leave our sin but let's be clear it takes a death it takes a crucifixion but what is it a death of alexandra you want to answer that question what do we die to ice cream and pleasure and happiness and joy no, we die to sin. So there's things just about being human that are not in and of themselves sinful. It's not sinful to enjoy going to the park or sunbathing or eating ice cream. But it is sinful to lie, to cheat, to steal, to encourage others 
in sin to encourage others to make destructive and bad decisions. For example, if you are bartending or serving alcohol, you are promoting the destruction of another person in many ways. At the very least, the death of their brain cells. Now, what's important is that when we die to sin, we're not just swapping out one sin for another. This is a very common problem people face. They give up smoking, and then they start to eat too much sugar or candy. Or they give up pornography, and then instead they start drinking. What Jesus does is he breaks the power of sin and frees us from all sin. So when we speak about dying to sin, we mean all sin. It's a decision on your part to renounce sin, to give it up, to say that you will never participate in any sin at all for the rest of your life and that you will give yourself completely to Jesus. Galatians 5, chapter 19, names some particular acts of sin. The Apostle Paul writes, the acts of the sinful nature are obvious, sexual immorality. And I just want to stop here. Our, our speaking of sexual immorality is sometimes not really fully explained, or it's just reduced to, well, don't have sex until you're married. It may be reduced to no homosexual activity, but sexual immorality encompasses a lot of things. It encompasses sex addiction, even if you are married. It encompasses pornography. It encompasses coercing your spouse to sexual acts which they do not want to do. Ignoring consent. So sexual immorality, don't just say, well, I'm not gay, so that doesn't apply to me. But think about, are you really being pure and holy and righteous in every area of your sex life? The Apostle Paul continues, impurity and debauchery. This word debauchery is translated a number of different ways in different translations. Uh, sometimes we find it as, I forget what the King James says, but could you speak a little bit about debauchery? Yes, it's licentiousness. Uh, debauchery is taking something that perhaps is good to a far extreme so that it becomes the dominant thing in your life. So, coffee may not be a sin to drink, but if you're having 10 cups a day, you've got a coffee problem. You can enter into good things at such a level that they become addictions. So you're speaking more about excess here? Excess. Excess. He continues, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I want to point out this word self-control is very important. 
a fruit of the spirit is not that we rely on external controls to make our behavior conform to a standard of Christian morality, but rather we receive the Holy Spirit and we find within ourselves through the power of the Holy Spirit that we do not have a desire to sin and that we are able to walk in love and peace, patience, kindness, these other elements of the fruit of the Holy Spirit that are listed. So this is very much when we die with Christ, we're dying to the sins listed here in Galatians 5, and the new life that we have in Christ is described by the fruit of the Spirit that we find just a few verses later in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. So the one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Do you see? We are called to walk clean in the Spirit of the living God. We are not called to walk in the sins of the flesh. Now, it literally means we've got to go through a radical transformation. And that radical transformation comes through the cross of Jesus Christ. I was walking down the hall of Weva, and David Ruhlman, when he was still here as manager, came walking out of his office and his face was just aglow with joy. I said, David, what's happening? He said, did you realize most of us have spent most of our lives at the foot of the cross. We've refused to die. He said, as soon as we're willing to die at the cross and leave our sin, Jesus takes us straight through the cross and we walk a road of victory from that day forward. And I said, wow, that is very well put. And it's true. We love the cross because as soon as the flesh begins to arise, it gets pinned on that cross to die again. It should never rise up, however. We should walk a walk of victory as Christian did for the rest of the journey until arriving at the celestial city. Now, he did make some mistakes for which he was punished. Even one time the angels came with a whip and whipped him because he had led another believer astray. God will punish us. But from the day he left the cross until he arrived at the celestial city, and we're going to share this all with you, he walked in victory. To be clear, that punishment is a correction. Yes. God does not just punish us for the sake of punishing us, but he is a parent, and if we go off the path, if we lead others off the path, he corrects us so that we stay on the path of life and that we help others rather than inadvertently hurting them. 
So, continuing in Romans, the sixth chapter, this is verse 11. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Now, this is what we've been saying. Don't count yourself as a continuing sinner. If you do, you're on the wrong road. You're going in violation of the Apostle Paul's teaching, and certainly you're going in violation of the teaching of our Lord Jesus. When he healed a man, he did not expect that man to walk out and say, I'm a leper, I'm a leper, even though Jesus had just healed his leprosy. When the man walked out with his arm whole, he did not walk out saying to everybody, look, it looks like my arm is whole, but it's not. I'm still, it's still withered, so I can't use it. I have to keep it close. You're saying, what? He'd never do that. He walks in freedom. He walks in joy. He's been set free. He's been healed. We must be healed of our sin. Sin is a disease. It is terminal. It will bring you to the judgment bar of God. And you can stand at that judgment bar and say, but I believed in you, Jesus. And he's going to say to you, if you believed in me, you would have connected with me and my power would have flowed through me into you and would have transformed you into my likeness and I would dwell in you as it is. I don't know you. Depart from me, you worker of iniquity. This is very sobering, isn't it? It's frightening. Because I suspect many of you have been confused about this issue. And many of you are in the wrong road. And I want you to come and walk on the road of holiness, of righteousness, in the power and the blood of Jesus Christ. I want you to be free. I want you to live a joyful, rejoicing life, sharing the gospel with everybody else. This is good news. I don't know if you catch that yet. This is such awesome news. So the image of the redemption that God is after. God's redemption, let's say that, let's say, for example, what would it look like if America, if people in America were redeemed and were in the, walking in the kingdom of God? We would see equality. We would see an end to the race war. We sh if you recall when we shared the story of William Seymour at Azusa Street, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit was marked by this amazing coming together of blacks and whites, of poor and rich, within days of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Yes. We would see each person free to exercise their God-given talents for the benefit of others and for the benefit of the kingdom of God. We would see trust and integrity. We would not have corruption in our leadership, whether in government, whether in business, whether in the church. The swamp would truly be drained. We would not have people cursing at each other, yelling at each other, hitting each other. But we would all love and respect and honor one another 
And that's what God wants to create in us. He's not trying to create a group of people who insist that they're saved from hell, and yet they continue to sin and hurt each other, and the work of God does not go forward. He's intending to actually restore each of us individually and restore us as a community to the love and peace which he designed us for. And you will recall the very first commission God gave to both Adam and Eve was to rule over God's creation together. Not to rule over one another, but to rule over God's creation. And this is the same commission that we have in Jesus to rule together with one another over God's creation and to set men and women free from the power of sin and from every oppression of the devil. So to conclude, we are saying, consider yourself, call yourself, count yourself dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. And do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Turn wholly, completely to Jesus. You've listened to Pilgrim's Progress. We're Ray and Alexandra Greenley. You can reach us by calling or contacting. Please visit our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. That's nationalprayerchapel.com. You can listen to this message again, as well as past messages we've been sharing from Romans chapter 6, Galatians 5, and John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress. You can call us at 703-489-1785. That's 703-489-1785. Also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube at National Prayer Chapel. And we want to say thank you on this Veterans Day to every man and every woman, every family that has sacrificed for our nation's security. We love you. God bless you. We'll talk to you soon. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.